0: Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast, the place where moms just like you are empowered with all the knowledge, skills, and tools you need to discover, pursue, and fulfill your personal life mission while still putting motherhood first. Introduction to principles. In the next few minutes, we're going to start a discussion that's gonna last over the next few weeks where we talk about a lot of the things that I've learned studying principles over the last 15 years. I've had the opportunity to present this information to um in seminars, in conferences, in speeches, online, in classes, all kinds of places and I've learned so much it's been a fascinating journey and I'm super excited to um to share it with you. I want everybody to grab a copy of the Declaration of Independence. If you you could look if you're online you could grab it online if you've got it on a on a bookshelf or something I want you to grab it and uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time in the Declaration of Independence because today our focus is going to be on natural laws and then we're going to talk about what all the other aspects are that surround principles and why those are important and talk about those in upcoming weeks so if you've got a copy of the Declaration of Independence and maybe you have it memorized so you'll You'll remember when I'm I'm reading this to you, but we're going to break it apart a little bit for a couple minutes. That's why I wanted you to be able to look at it with me. Okay, so it begins, The Unanimous Declaration of the 13 States, United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Okay, so that's the very first section of the Declaration of Independence. We're going to break that apart really quickly. What are they saying here? What they're doing is they're establishing a frame of reference based on the belief system, the truths that they're Timeless truths, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But this was the frame of reference at the time of the founding, the frame of reference for the great thinkers throughout history is this layer of powers that they've just explained in this little paragraph. Okay. The first thing is that they assume that there are powers other than the powers of the earth. Okay. They call it the powers of the earth. And they say that these states that are united have an equal amount of power with the powers of the earth. But those powers of the earth are subject to a power that's higher, who is God and his natural law, the laws of nature and nature's God. Okay, So it establishes where power is drawn from and that the law of nature is where their authority to declare independence comes from. Because there's a God and God has given them innate power and innate equality with the other powers on earth, they can declare their freedom. Okay. Now, natural law is always a frame of reference for why. It gives us a reference point for why, and that will make more sense as we go through these trainings. So let's go through the next part. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Okay, so what did this little section say? Now, remember in the last section, they used the word entitled. Okay, they're entitled to something because of natural law. The the source of their power is natural law, okay? Now, because of natural law, there are certain truths that are self-evident. Now, the founding generation and the Scottish Enlightenment and thinkers before them called these self-evident truths, first principles. And our next training is gonna be specifically about first principles, and we're gonna get into that. We're gonna focus right now on natural law. So natural law says, so maybe, maybe we can take a second in that little section, what are some of those natural laws that they put forward? What are some of the reason, what are some of those self-evident truths that are in that section that you noticed? Of course, one of these is going to be the right to life, right? The right to liberty, the right to the pursuit of happiness. Which is something we're gonna talk a little bit more about in just a second. So there's the declaration lays out what natural law is and why it matters so much. It is the whole reason why we can declare our freedom, and it's the whole reason why we have it's a whole it's the whole source of our power as individuals. Okay. So what it's just laid out very simply is that God's the ultimate source of power. Right under him is the natural laws he created. Under natural law is actually man, and under man is government. Government, the power of government is actually lowest on the rung of sources of power. The, the government, this is the last little section, governments derive their power from the consent of the governed. So everyone on earth, including governments, have to derive their power from God and his natural laws. That's how important natural law is. So then the declaration goes on. Whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its, fa- its powers in such form as to them shall most seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. So the other thing, which is really cool, that the Declaration has just done is laid out the layers of truth, okay? So first there's God and his natural law, and under that natural law are first principles or self-evident truths. Underneath that are the principles... First, principles are self-evident. Principles are not necessarily self-evident. They have to be learned and lived. And the last layer is application. In this instance, they're calling them forms because they're forms of government. Okay? So applications come last. Of uh, Your application is your way of applying the principles that derive their power from natural law and God. So let me, uh, let me give you an example of this. Has anyone heard of Democracy in America? You probably have. Democracy in America was written by Alexis de Tocqueville in the 1800s. And he was a Frenchman. He actually came to America to to study the American penal system. And he ended up staying for a long time and traveling all over and learning all kinds of interesting things. And Democracy in America is actually all about here's the good sides and the bad sides to having democracy be your form of government. And so he's kind of breaking it down, and he's talking to the French, and he's telling them all the things that he learned about how democracy works, why? Because they had their own revolution right after we did. And they're trying to reestablish a stable form of government. And he's hoping that by giving them this breakdown of what's happening in America, that he can help them see the good and the bad, and they can learn from America and and put together a form of government that will be lasting because it's principle-centered. And here's what he says in the introduction To democracy in America, let us look to America not in order to make a servile copy of the institutions that she has established, but to gain a clearer view of the polity that will be the best for us. Let us look there less to find examples than instruction. So we're not going to do exactly what Americans do. We're not going to look for examples that we can just copy and paste in France. Let us borrow from her the principles rather than the details of her laws. So here again is an individual who understands that that the ability to draw power, the ability to govern, is drawn from natural laws and their corresponding principles. In this case, it's principles of government. The reason that natural law and principles matter so much is because they are, like this declaration says, the ultimate source of human power and that power is drawn from obedience to them. A knowledge of them and an obedience to them is what brings true liberty. As 2 Corinthians 3:17 in the New Testament says, where the spirit of liberty is, where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty, okay? Or as Jesus taught, the truth shall make you free in John. So what what the, what these scriptures are saying to us is that there are immutable laws. Cecil B. DeMille said, you can't break the law. You can only break yourself against the law. Those immutable, natural laws are always in existence, and you can either work with them, or you can work against them. And they apply in every area of life. And what we'll get into when we talk about principles later is principles in specific areas of, of life. But the overarching uh construct, the overarching um, power, I guess, is natural law. Now, there's a thing called positive law. These are laws that governments make, okay? And positive laws can be under the umbrella of natural law or outside of the umbrella of natural law. And when they're outside the umbrella of natural law, they don't have the authority of natural law behind them, so we're not as apt to want to obey them so um a very simple example i have um here's it here's here here's an example of this in the 1828 dictionary which actually uh i think my copy is right there this green book it's phenomenal if you don't have a copy get it uh you find it online too of course this this was published not long i mean i guess it's about 50 years after the revolution um about 40 years after we established our constitution so um this the, this dictionary was published it's phenomenal and it helps you understand what words meant at the time of the founding. And so if you go to the law, it has the different types of law listed and then defined. And so the second or th- I think it's the third definition in the 1828 dictionary is the law of nature and this is what it says. It is the rule of conduct arising out of the natural relations of human beings established by the creator and existing prior to any positive precept. Remember I talked about positive law? So prior to positive law, before any other laws, before any positive precept, before anybody else tries to lay any rule in place, natural law exists first. Uh, Thus it is the law of nature that one man should not injure another and murder and fraud would be crimes independent of any prohibition from a supreme power. Okay, so if you have a government, a supreme power, a power of the earth that says, well, you ought not to steal from each other or kill each other. We actually don't need them to tell us that. And those laws only have force because we inherently know they're right because of natural law. So Thomas Reed said, natural law, he's actually talking about first principles, but it's, it's kind of part of this whole construct that it's written on the heart of men by the very finger of God. So it comes with us as standard equipment at birth. We know it by nature, and every other law that exists must be in harmony with it, or human beings don't want to abide by it, and they, rebe- they eventually rebel against any other laws that aren't enforced by natural law so let's get let me let me spend a little bit of time in c.s lewis with you so that you can understand this and this may seem a little taxing this is what level two of the academy is all about and you get to read some of these original sources we'll spend a little bit of time on a couple pages of Locke, who does a beautiful job of explaining this in even greater detail and some more time in in lewis and blackstone and some of these other authors so that you can see for yourself and. The reason it's so important is because it's not talked about anymore and it used to be so commonplace. When you read the writings of the founders or previous generations, they talked about it all the time and it's a virtually lost concept and it's where it, it's where real authority and power are drawn from. I, I'll never forget when I was studying um, in my bachelor's work doing my liberal arts degree and we had some reading and we were talking about, I think it was maybe Locke and, and just this light bulb went on. And I realized natural law is the link that connects everyone. Even if you've got somebody who tells you, okay, I don't want to believe in all that God stuff or all that religion stuff. If you understand natural law well enough, you can help them to see that there is something that binds all human beings. There are some beliefs and some Preassumptions that we all bring into our lives that we agree upon and that must come from someplace. okay? That's not gonna be a derivative of evolution, it cannot be because it often runs counter to evolution. Often the ways that we feel we ought to behave are not survival of the fittest, they're contrary to that, so they cannot be an evolutionary, um, an evolutionary creation because they run contrary to evolution. So evolution would actually be creating creatures that run contrary to itself. That makes sense. (laughs) Um, Anyway, that's totally aside. So this is mere Christianity. So critical to getting the basic understanding. Again, we'll spend more time in it in level two. Uh, level one is, again, all about loving yourself, and then level two, love of truth. We really, really dig into this. Have some. I've been putting the readings packet it together. It's phenomenal. Anyway, so he says, this rule of right and wrong used to be called the law of nature. Nowadays, we talk about the laws of nature. We mean gravity uh, or the laws of chemistry, just science, basically. But when the older thinkers called the law of right and wrong, the law of nature, they meant the law of human nature. The idea was that just as all bodies are governed by the law of gravitation and organisms by biological laws, so the creature called man also had his law with this great difference, that a body could not choose whether it obeyed the law of gravitation or not. So as the physical part of us or the physical part of an animal or a rock or whatever it is, We don't get to choose whether or not we obey the laws of the universe. We don't get to just decide that we're going to float rather than get stuck to the ground or that we're going to fall when gravity hits us or that our bodies are going to decay and die. We don't get to choose that, but mankind does have the ability to choose to obey the law of human nature or disobey it. We can put this another way. Each man is at every moment subjected to several different sets of law, but there is only one of these which he is free to obey. And the law which is peculiar to his human nature, the law he does not share with animals or vegetables or inorganic thing, is the one he can disobey if he chooses. This law was called the law of nature because people thought that everyone knew it by nature and did not need to be taught it. So what encompasses natural law and first principles are those elements of our human nature that are completely universal now he goes on to say this i know that some people say the idea of a law of nature or decent behavior known to all men is unsound because different civilizations and ages have been quite different had, have had quite different moralities but this is not true and this is a this is a modern idea but it's not new to humankind. Different civilizations have always gone through this cycle, and we'll also learn about the cycles of civilization and all that cool stuff. It's not something new that just Americans or the West are going through. This is a cycle that people go uh, go through where they try to discount human nature, the law of human nature, say that it's not a real thing, say that it doesn't matter and it doesn't apply to them, and do whatever they want to do. And it always leads to complete moral decay. I mean the phrase "my truth, your truth." Uh, we hear it every day in the media, all over the place. Um, he says there have been differences between the moralities, but these have never mounted amounted to anything like a total difference. So one of the way he 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 compiled all this I means it's C.S. C- Lewis. He studied everything and everybody, and and he found yes, absolutely. And 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 my study has led me to that same conclusion that the the unity of morality is 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 pretty consistent. You don't find a civilization in history that celebrates people who murdered everyone, for example. Now you might find a tyrant that in a in a decaying civilization they're forced to put up you know some statue to them, but they're not honored as the great the great individuals. So I love how he says this. This last little thing I'm going to read um, here he says, I believe that they were right, that there is this law of of right and wrong. If they were not, then all the things we said about World War II were nonsense. What was the sense in saying that the enemy were in the wrong unless right is a real thing which the Nazis at bottom knew as well as we did and ought to have practiced? If they had had no notion of what we mean by right, then we might still have had to fight them but we could no more have blamed them for that than for the color of their hair. So we blamed them because we assumed they should have known better. And we only assumed they knew better because they're human by virtue of their humanity. I mean, we didn't sit around and say, well, maybe they were all raised wrong. Maybe there's something was really bad going over there in Germany. No, no we, we you know said, well, not only do we have to fight them, but we think poorly of them because they're supposed to know better because as human beings, we all know better. Okay, so one of the reasons, well, okay. This is William Blackstone. I'm gonna just touch on this really briefly. We get into this again more in the academy, but um, he wrote commentaries on the laws of England and this came out in 1765. So you know that in England, there was uh, common law. For centuries, and that's how they had these traveling, um, these traveling courts, basically that would go and decide cases, you know, locally and that kind of thing. And they were those decisions were based on common law. And so William Blackstone is an attorney in England, and he's trying to compile all this common law to help. Like attorneys and other people and 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 in America we get a hold of it. And the founders are studying this like crazy. And it's so fantastic when you read these documents and then you see them come through in their writings and it's just really cool. So I'm gonna read this and you may not catch it all, but I'll I'll go back and explain what he's saying. But I wanna I want you to hear it directly from him because the first section of this book is on natural law and he establishes the validity of God and natural law. And what you get, this this just gets under my skin. When you buy a modern version of Blackstone, you almost always get an introduction written by a modern scholar. And they always have to take a few minutes and debunk God and natural law and say, okay, William Blackstone was a smart guy. Let's say one of two things. William Blackstone was a smart guy But this was kind of what people thought and he kind of had to play to the belief system of the time that he knew better, but he just did it anyway because this was just the, the thing that they did back then. You know, they just pretended like they cared about God and natural law and then they went on with their argument, but they didn't really, or they say, well, you know, maybe, maybe it was a thing, but it doesn't matter. And, you know, because we know better now, we just, we know that science is what it is and, it doesn't matter anymore to us. So, either way, either way they, of course, they know better because they live now. And anyway, because we have iPhones, so we know better. Anyway, just kidding. So, this is William Blackstone in that introduction. He says, God has so intimately connected, so inseparably interwoven the laws of eternal justice, that's natural law, with the happiness of each individual so natural law and personal happiness are interwoven like this that the latter the happiness of the individual cannot be attained cannot be attained but by observing the former the natural laws and if the former be punctually obeyed it cannot but induce the latter So God's so smart because he set up this world where he put these natural laws in place and he tied them together with human happiness. And he made it so that if we know and obey natural law, we are happy. And if we don't, then we're not happy, okay? And if we obey natural law, it cannot but induce the latter. It cannot but make us happy. In consequence of mutual connection of justice and human felicity... That is the source of, of justice, too, which we'll read more of Black, a little bit more of Blackstone in that level two. super cool stuff. But he says, he has not perplexed the law of nature with a multitude of abstracted rules and precepts, referring merely to the fitness or unfitness of things if some have vainly surmised, but has graciously reduced. Now, we just read the Declaration of Independence, so I want you to think about that when I'm reading this. God has graciously reduced the rule of obedience to this one paternal precept that man should pursue his own true and substantial happiness. This is the foundation of what we call ethics or natural law. So this, this is 1765, Jefferson is studying Blackstone like crazy and the words he reads in Blackstone make their way right into the Declaration of Independence and when he says the pursuit of happiness, He means the pursuit of real happiness, the freedom to obey natural laws, which is why it's referenced in the earlier paragraph, which is why it's shown to be one of the first principles. And that if every man had the freedom and the undergirding of government to pursue his own true happiness to obey God, then the law of nature would be obeyed and mankind would be happier. And so Um, it's, it's interesting that he says it's also the foundation of ethics because that's the ethical framework that, that the nation was founded upon. And it's so important to understand that that's what they meant. For example, if you look through the grievances section, well, it's not there. They removed it for, (laughs) to gratify the South but originally one of the grievances that Jefferson wrote in to one of the early drafts of the declaration was he was he, it, it, the grievances of course are all the things they're upset with the king about all the things that he did wrong all the ways that he breached natural law okay and principles and upon that foundation of natural law and principles they have the right to declare their independence because he does he won't obey natural law and they need the freedom to obey natural law. And he is stopping them from doing that. So keep that frame of reference with natural law and principles. As you look through that grievances list, we have this activity. I taught government and economics for a long time. And I have a principles of liberty class. And one of the activities that we did in there that we'll do, again, in in um, level two, is to take those grievances and look for the principles that are being broken that have the, the reason that – the that gives the reason the justification for the founders to put that in the list. But what I was going to say is one of the grievances Jefferson originally wanted to put in, then this ties into Tucker and some other cool readings about, um, abolition is that in, at least in Virginia, and I'm not sure about the other States, what they had been trying to do for a long time was stop the importation of slaves so that if they stopped importation, they could slowly get rid of slavery but the king wouldn't let them. He forced them to continue to import slaves, and it was one of the things that just made Jefferson really angry, and he wanted to stop importing them so he could put laws in place that would slowly get rid of slavery, which is one of the objectives of some of the key founders, but they couldn't do that because the king would not allow them to live natural laws, okay? So um, just some really, really cool stuff. Let me throw out as we wind down um, some examples of natural laws. We're different from everything else on earth. We have consciousness. We are thinking beings. We are self-aware. We see ourselves as individuals. We can choose our thoughts and behavior. We can think about and correct our thoughts and behavior. Those are all things we every human being intuitively knows. Um, some arguments for natural law would be conscience, one called transposition. I don't have a lot of time to get into this. C.S. Lewis taught this. It's It's phenomenal, basically. It's how are it, it's it's evidence for the fact that we have a soul and a body and how we uh how we um how we can tell someone what we're feeling and our outward expression will be the same so i could be sobbing and you would see me sobbing but i could tell you i was happy or i was sad and i would have to tell you i would have to relate to you what my feelings what my translation of that was but i would have my body would convert it the same way Anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. The value system in all cultures is uniform in history. Nature obeys laws, and our desperate need for purpose, meaning, and story, is to me a huge evidence of natural law, of God, um, of our divinity. So, again, what we have is God creates natural laws. Under that lie first principles, and natural law and first principles are written on the heart of man by the finger of God. Then there's principles that we must learn and obey in harmony. There's principle, principles connect to different areas of life, and then there's applications. That's a little bit about natural law. I can take any questions before we um, finish up. Thanks so much for joining me. To get your free copy of my ebook, The Mission Driven Life, visit themissiondrivenmom.com. And to dig deeper and become part of our community of mission-driven moms, Join us in the Mission Driven Mom Mastermind Facebook group and check out the MDM Academy. See you next time.